0: That may sound familiar, it's See You Again, the song written in tribute to the late Fast and Furious actor, Paul Walker. We've been thinking about the ways we mourn, and how, in an increasingly digital world, the way we grieve is changing.
1: Whether it's through music, Facebook posts, or even tattoos, mourning has become more and more public. Welcome to the podcast edition of The Signal, I'm Kira McKenna.
0: And I'm Ali Graham. We're in the audio workshop at the University of King's College School of Journalism. And today we're diving into the complex and challenging world of mourning in the digital age. Um, So instead she went to the wake
2: the same way that she's been going home to the Philippines and she Skyped in.
3: He is the last male of a species singing for a female
4: who will never come.
5: It feels like even though she's gone, like we can still interact with her in a way
4: a lot of of good memories and stuff tends to come out in some laughs and you know you get the odd tear every now and again
1: that's a taste of what you'll hear on our podcast you know i think we've all felt a lot of loss lately even when it comes to people we don't know
0: right celebrities we said goodbye to some great ones recently Haley atwood wondered why their deaths hit us so hard
6: Here is a bulletin from Channel 5
5: News. Singer Elvis Presley has died in a Memphis, Tennessee hospital.
7: One of the most
8: famous stars in Hollywood history is dead at 36. Marilyn Monroe.
4: A short while ago, Buckingham Palace confirmed the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. The passing of an American icon, Muhammad Ali. Carrie Fisher
1: passed away at the age of 60. Debbie Reynolds passed away at the age of 84.
6: We cry, we toast their memory, and we post online. Why do we mourn celebrities? Aren't they just people we never knew? Robert Niemeyer from Memphis, Tennessee, studies death and grief therapy. He says celebrity mourning is often real and sincere.
8: We mourn those with whom we have a sense of identification and connection. So powerful, charismatic figures ranging from rock stars or actors through political figures can be genuinely mourned by people. I think it really is just an extension of our capacity to care, invest, and attach to people across distances of all kinds.
6: So we miss what celebrities put into the world, their creative output, and their work. More importantly, we miss how it makes us feel. People have always grieved the deaths of famous figures. 20,000 people flooded the streets of Vienna when Beethoven died. Over 7 million attended Abraham Lincoln's funeral. Take a listen to this. That is the sound of hundreds of thousands of people gathering to mourn Jailalita Jayaram's death in India. She was an actress-turned-politician, and she died just last month. People like to grieve together, as a community, and we continue to do so with the help of technology. I can't believe we now live in a world without Bowie. Remembering Alan Rickman always. Prince. You changed my life. Since the rise of the internet, community can be online as well. It's quick, accessible, and public. There was an unusually high number of celebrity deaths last year. BBC says their coverage spiked from 30 celebrity deaths in 2015 to 50 in 2016. With this spike came an online outpouring of grief.
8: I think here of one client following the death of Prince and his level of despair and anguish was as profound as if Prince had been his brother or his lover or his best friend. No one in his immediate family or social circle really got you know, what uh, Prince's death meant to him. But he could find online countless tens of thousands of people um, who would blog about the impact of Prince on their lives and the participation in that provided, of course, an important measure of support.
6: But along with online grieving comes the grief police. Some dismiss the loss that people feel as immature or silly.
8: This may often happen when we ourselves are not touched by the celebrity in the way that those who are actively mourning her or him might be. We need to understand for the individual fan the meaning of the relationship to the celebrity. I think if we, if we understand celebrity loss in that way, then we can respond to it with more compassionate understanding.
6: Grief is a reflection of a connection that we've lost. People want to share the effects of that loss with others, no matter if it's the loss of a family member, a friend, or Bowie. The human impulse to mourn celebrities has become an online response. We tweet, we post, and that is often how we toast their memory. I'm Haley Atwood in Halifax.
0: I think most people are also affected by the loss of animals. We see a lot of online tributes to pets, too. But what happens when an entire species dies out and becomes extinct? Myra Chisson looked into a Remembrance Day ceremony for extinct animals.
1: So, Mira, why are people mourning lost species? Well,
9: extinction is a natural part of evolution, but
1: scientists say that we're
9: driving too many species to the brink too quickly. According to the World Wildlife Fund's Living Planet Report, by 2020, the planet might lose
1: a third of the animals it had 50 years ago. Wow, that's terrifying. Can you tell me about one of these animals that we've already lost?
9: Uh, here's a clip from a Discovery Channel documentary called Racing Extinction.
3: This is a song recording of a male OO singing on Kauai. He is the last male of a species singing for a female who will never come. And now his voice is gone.
9: That was the last song of the OO bird. In 1987, the OO joined the ranks of the dodo and hundreds of other extinct species. So what are people doing to mourn these animals? There's an initiative that started in the UK called the Remembrance Day for Lost Species. It is now spread across the world. It's held every year on November 30th. Last November, there were over 50 events worldwide. The day includes events like vigils, poetry, and music, like, for example, this ceremony for the Tasmanian tiger by the Anca Art Gallery in the UK.
10: ...declared extinct on the 7th of September, 1936, when Benjamin's keeper found him dead of exposure on the concrete floor of his cage in Hobart Zoo. Perhaps as late as the 1960s they may have survived, or it could be that Benjamin was the last of his kind. However now, all hope for the species is sadly lost.
1: So that's an example of sound from a video of a Remembrance Day ceremony for the Tasmanian tiger, who is now extinct, which was held in the UK last year. Mira, are there any ceremonies like this in Canada? No,
9: um, there are in the US, but not here. At least, not yet.
0: Let us know what you think. Should we mourn the loss of species in Canada too? And if so, how? Tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. We're at signalradiohfx.
1: When we lose someone we love, their memory is permanently etched on our heart and in our mind. And these days, maybe on our skin too. Tribute tattoos, designs that display reminders or memories of someone who has passed away, have become really quite common. Eldrick Murphy is a tattoo artist at the Sin On Skin Tattoo Studio in Halifax. He has his own memorial tattoos and he creates them for others.
4: My grandmother was, you know, super catholic so she was always carrying the rosary beads around and she always had flowers around the house and the uh, the heart in the middle. Just kind of went together with the banners and stuff. Then I got uh, that one there, my skin's horrible for my dad when he passed. He was, uh, well, we're Irish, so I had the shamrock and then just some kind of chewed up stonework. I'll never cover them over, I'll never rework them. Now that they're done, they're there. I'm happy with them and unfortunately, if I have to add to them in the near future, We'll work everything in and make a sleeve for a sock, I guess, out of it. It takes a lot of kind of planning and sitting down and getting some rough sketches out. And so, you know, all depending on what they're looking for or their idea is, you know, could take, I could have it like in my head for a matter of seconds and then other times it takes a little bit more. And, you know, it could be up to a week or so. Yeah, I usually find like closer friends usually tend to put a lot more kind of thought into what they'd like to see go into it. So they they end up being a little bit more involved than, you know, say a second cousin or a third cousin or something like that. So you hear a lot of stories and stuff. I myself I don't like to pry, so if they're not comfortable with telling the story then, you know, and some people are real easy to talk to and it just comes automatic and, you know, you get, you know, why and how and a lot of good memories and stuff tends to come out and some laughs and, you know, you get the odd tear every now and again, but it's all good. Every now and again, one will kind of stand out and it's kind of, you'll sit back after it's all done and it's like, wow, that, that person's been through a lot, so. I'm glad they got a nice piece, you know, so. I'd say, you know, a good half are just fresh out type of deal and then somebody that's lost a son, maybe, you know, the other half is our old. So it, it's kind of split down the middle type of deal. Sometimes I got really excited about doing a, a piece and then it's like, oh, yeah, that's a memorial. So I'll, I kind of get off and I basically just have to read my client type of deal. If they're really upbeat, then it's, you know, a good thing and people are moving on and getting you know some good memories out of the, out of the deal but.
1: Eldrick Murphy is a tattoo artist at the sin on skin tattoo studio here in Halifax <laughs>
0: Hey, Kira. Remember the other day when we were talking about this whole idea of modern mourning?
1: Yeah, Ali. It's like everybody we know has some sort of story about the intersection and the way death and our online lives interact.
0: Yeah, so we decided to record our conversation about it. Here are some of our classmates, Rowan Morrissey, Maddie Haslam, and Terry Boats.
5: So I guess when I start thinking about how technology has impacted my own grief and mourning process it I immediately think about my aunt who passed away from cancer three years ago she was in treatment for quite a long time and I think to help her out and show her love and show her that we were all behind her I think someone in my family don't know who created a Facebook group called we love Paula and it has 131 members and people started posting pictures and funny stories and words of encouragement and when she passed away that group was really i think important for getting the word out and getting people to talk about um, all the things they loved about her why they're going to miss her and show support for my cousins and my uncle um but she also has like her own personal facebook account which we're all still friends with it's still active and no one has changed um, I guess her status to show that she's deceased so every year on her birthday I still get a notification and it still shows up in that like right hand corner that it's Paulo Hanlon's birthday and for the first year or so it really freaked me out because for one I would have that moment of kind of forgetting that she was gone and then all of a sudden I'd realize that she wasn't there and it was kind of a reminder but it was also a good thing because then I'd start to notice that people were posting on her birthday to be like we're having a glass of wine for you today or we hope you're with so-and-so and and, um, we really miss you, but we're also glad that we had the time with you. And it's been almost, I think it'll be going on four years in September and people are still posting. So on her birthday, there were 10 different posts and some of them are from people I've never met in my entire life but they knew my aunt in a way that I didn't. And so seeing photos of her pop up from when she was a kid or like in school and things like that is really interesting because I still feel like I'm learning things about her even though she's she's gone.
10: So do you ever go onto your aunt's Facebook page, maybe look at her pictures, look at her statuses and, and just re- remember the time that you spent with her? like, Or do you maybe avoid going to her Facebook page because maybe part of it is a little bit painful for you?
5: I think at first it was probably a little bit painful but I'm also just interested I guess now so I mean I don't go on all the time but like in preparation for this podcast I definitely did go and see and like look through the photos and it's kind of just nice because it feels like even though she's gone like we can still interact with her in a way but it's also like kind of weird that I'm like interacting with my aunt on Facebook like I would never have assumed that that would be the way that we'd still be connecting with her. Mm. So I does it make you feel closer to her? I think in a way, and it does. Like how I said that people are posting on there that I've never met or like didn't know about and maybe they're family friends that haven't spoken to her since she was like a little kid and they found out that she passed away. And so they post something in the group being like, I just heard about Paula, maybe even two years after she's died. I just heard that she passed away. I remember we used to play together on Hadadi Road and here's a photo that I, my mom found when she was going through albums and that's really cool because I feel like I knew her really well we were quite close when she was alive but now I'm learning about all these bits and pieces of her life and it's kind of allowing me to put together this like puzzle like this greater picture of like who my aunt actually was outside of the person that I knew.
2: Mm, yeah about 10 years ago my grandma got really sick and she was diagnosed with Uh, severe Parkinson's and dementia Um, and it got to the point that my family couldn't take care of her alone anymore. Uh, So a woman named Nanita moved in with my grandparents to take care of my grandma full-time and Nanita's from the Philippines and she came to Canada to do care work and then support her family back home with the money she made. And over the past 10 years, she's become such an important part of my family that sometimes I almost forget that she has another one. And that's why she's here in the first place. Um, My grandma died uh, three years ago, and Nanita was there that day, and she was mourning with us. And then uh, about two months ago, Nanita's own mom uh, passed away. But she couldn't be there because she was here in Canada and she's still taking care of my grandpa, who's now quite sick as well. Um, And her family's Catholic and Catholic Filipino wakes, they last anywhere from five to seven days. And a part of the reason they last so long is so that family who aren't home um, have time to travel back and be there to make it for some of the wake and also be there for the funeral. But obviously, Nanita's on the other side of the world Uh, So that travel time doesn't really help her get back. Um, So instead, she went to the wake the same way that she's been going home to the Philippines pretty much every week for the past 10 years. And she Skyped in. And she Skyped in to the full seven days of the wake. Um, And when I heard she was doing that, I just, like, I couldn't really believe it because I pictured her just sitting there in silence and Skyping into a mostly silent room um, and staring at the screen of a bunch of people sitting around a corpse and kind of like saying the things that you're supposed to say when someone dies. Um, And that image to me, it just, it sounded so lonely and removed and sad. Um, But then I found out that Filipino wakes aren't anything like uh, the wakes I've experienced here um, where everything has to be really solemn and quiet and orderly in order to be considered respectful. And they're, in the Philippines, they're actually more of a celebration. So there's a ton of food and drinks, and people are playing guitar and playing games and gambling and doing all these things in order to stay awake and be able to be with the corpse even longer. And yeah, so I think in a way, even though Nanita was staring at a screen, uh, at a wake that was taking place across the world. I think she got to be part of a morning experience that was a little bit more real and maybe even a little bit more intimate than most of us ever have.
10: Uh, so my story, you know, it does involve death, but it does have a bit of a, a bit of a funny anecdote. So, so bear with me here. Growing up, my parents always had, you know, like the group of friends that the kids would always be familiar with. So half the time you'd be calling someone, you know, aunt so-and-so, uncle so-and-so, when they, were, they weren't they were really your aunt or uncle, they were just, you know, like a really good family friend. So one of those people that I would consider in uh, a bit of like an uncle figure uh, would be Rue, and he was a good friend uh, of my parents. Um, they were always in the valley together, and I remember he'd always come over when I was younger. Um, so Rue got a blood cell disease, and he did end up passing away. Um, so that was just very sad for, for all of us, especially my parents, uh, their group of friends and his, his family as well. But, and here's the funny part. So, uh, it was a while after he had passed away. Um, and my mother had got a phone call from, uh, one of their friends in that group. Her name's Kelly. She got a phone call. She said, Shell, Shell is my mom. I had the weirdest message on my, on my voicemail. So it's, it was from Rue's cell phone. Now, now, the message didn't say anything, it was just static, you know, there was no voices, but there is a message. It's from that number. So mom goes, oh, okay, that's a little odd, but we'll keep we'll keep it in mind. And a few other times, some uh, Callie would get a call, someone else would get a call, and we're all trying to figure out what's going on. You get that spooky, eerie feeling, you know, that maybe he's still around, you know, like that bit of ooh, paranormal. Um, until one day, uh, my mom goes on her Facebook, and I believe it—it uh, it was Rue's sister uh, made a Facebook status saying, "So sorry about all of the spooky voicemail messages, but we gave Rue's cell phone to our father, and he—he's yet to figure out how to use it. And so I'm sorry. i, I know everyone's been getting all these messages without any ex- explanation, and I know it's probably scaring—scaring scaring the crap out of all of you guys. <laughs> but um, just know that you know—you know—he's at peace, and uh, he's not trying to bother you. It was a little bit of a joke going on that, you know, uh, he's still communicating with us. He's here. And uh, my parents would think that if he were still around, he'd find that that story very funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We've all seen the Facebook posts. Heartbroken Announcements of a Loved One's Death Jasmine Chase has found that social media has become an important part of her grieving process. She lost her sister Ashton five years ago after she developed breathing problems. Before the emergency crew arrived, her 13-year-old sister had died on the living room floor. Sometimes Jasmine goes online to share old pictures of her sister. Sometimes her posts are addressed to Ashton. Julianne Steves talked to Jasmine about her sister and why she uses Facebook to honor Ashton's memory.
11: My sister was very athletic. Um, she loved to dance. She loved basketball. She loved um, volleyball, any type of sport. She was um, dyslexic. So she had a lot of difficulty reading. She was kind and loving to everyone because I think she knew what it was like to struggle in school and so she always was kind to you know the other people who may be struggling in school or the other people who may not be popular or or perfect or you know what society saw as, as beautiful November 9th, 2011 it still feels so unreal I still expect you to walk into the room or to be dancing around or wanting to do my hair. How could you be gone? A large piece of my heart is in heaven. I love you and miss you so much, baby sis. October thirty first, two 2012. I didn't want to spend the first year anniversary of Ashton's death crying. I wanted to celebrate her somehow. Therefore, I went into her room and found her signature on her binder and today I got it tattooed close to my heart. I know she is always with me, and now her name, exactly how she wrote it, is close to my heart. April 4th, 2012. I miss the happy times. I miss my mother's laugh and my father's smile. I miss holidays spent with her energy. I miss when the only pain I knew was physical. I just missed her. October 31st, 2016. It has been five years since the worst day of my life. Ashton, there is so much I wish you could see. I wish you could see that I'm not the sister you grew up with. I have health and a new life. I wish you could see that I'm fulfilling my dreams. I wish you could see how incredibly strong and amazing mom and dad are. I wish you could see your friends and where life has taken them. I wish you could see my bright pink car and our adorable dog. I wish you could meet my friends. You would love how much they protect me like you used to. There's so much I wish you could do. I wish you could be at college or university. I wish you could be pursuing your dreams. I wish you could be dancing. I wish you could have graduated with your friends and worn a pretty pink dress to your grand march. I wish that you could be playing sports and doing all the girly things you loved. I wish I never had to go through what I went through five years ago. I wish my first experience with CPR was on a patient and not on my sister. I wish your final words were not engraved in my memory and I wish I couldn't relate to grieving parents and siblings. I wish that people who have entered my life in the last few years knew how fantastic you were. But the greatest thing I wish is that I could tell you one I love you one last time. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's interesting to see the things I posted, you know, the, in those first few weeks and, you know, the things that I post now, it's really been, it's kind of look, like looking back on your grief journey, you know, because those first few months and the first few years were so hard. And um, to see some of the things that I, I used to write and I used to post back then, um, it's difficult to see. I think I chose to post it because it was a way to grieve in in these modern days you know I had so many friends I had so many loved ones on Facebook it was actually quite comforting to be able to express my feelings to to people that knew me and that they could express their feelings back in support Um, people were great people were very very supportive and loving and, and you know people don't know what to say And that's okay. The things I post are way different than what they would have been, you know, five years ago. Um, But people's love and support has not changed by any means.
0: That was Jasmine Chase. She's keeping her sister's memory alive on Facebook. Have you found it therapeutic to share and mourn online? Join our discussion by tweeting at Signal Radio HFX. Bye.
1: how we mourn celebrities and public figures but we're also interested in the grief of these people how they mourn and how they move on all in the public eye 16 years ago many first saw political potential in our prime minister justin trudeau it was during one of the most devastating moments of his life the eulogy that he gave for his father
0: Hundreds fill the pews of the Notre-Dame Basilica in Montreal. It is the fall of the new millennium. Canada, or at least most of it, is grieving. Grief is an experience that we unfortunately all share. Few of us, however, are called on to do our mourning in impressive public ways. On a stage, under hot lights, performing.
3: The very words convey so many things to so many people. Statesman, intellectual, professor, adversary, outdoorsman, lawyer, journalist, author, and prime minister. But more than anything, to me, he was dad.
0: Mourning politicians is inherently political especially when the ones grieving are also politicians.
3: (sighs) And what a dad.
0: Millions watched as Justin delivered a powerful, eloquent homage to his late father, Pierre Trudeau, the 15th Prime Minister of Canada. He died on September 28, 2000. The eulogy went viral when it was posted online years later by CBC.
7: You have a kind of blending or overlap between the familial and the political.
0: Dr. Sarah Clift is an assistant professor at the University of King's College in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Her popular philosophy course, Reflections on Death, asks students to consider the ways in which grief and mourning are political.
7: When he eulogized his father, you know, gave that very famous eulogy, um, he was being groomed. In a way, um, and and I mean, you do kind of you wonder: Did he write it himself? Is it was there a kind of that would be very interesting? Did he have speechwriters write that for him? Um, but in any case, it is uh, just by by virtue of his family, he comes from a political family, uh, highly visible and controversial political family in Canada. Uh, so it's inevitably the case that his eulogy eulogy of Pierre Trudeau um, would be seen as a kind of, or at least the dimension of it, has a political uh, connotation to it.
3: And over the past few days, with every card, every rose...
0: When Trudeau delivered his stirring here, eulogy, he was thrust back onto the national stage. Citizens and commentators called on him to run for office. He declined
3: and every pirouette you returned his love. It means the world to Sasha and me. Thank you.
0: His eulogy of his father, however, is not his only newsworthy morning. In the pews behind Margaret Trudeau sits a family friend and a controversial Cuban revolutionary. But at eight,
3: I was becoming politically aware.
0: This past November, Fidel Castro passed away at the age of 90. Castro was a friend of the late Pierre Elliott Trudeau, as well as a famous, controversial Cuban figure. The following day, Trudeau released an official statement in which he refers to Castro tenderly as a
7: larger-than-life leader, Trudeau was kind of excoriated in the media for sort of waxing poetic about the leadership qualities of Fidel Castro and this great leader, the rhetorical skill, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, He certainly said something about human rights abuses, but it was very uh, marginal to the more general celebratory uh, tenor of his speech. And I think there, too, you had a real blurring of um, the Justin Trudeau as head of state in Canada, and the Justin Trudeau um, who, you know, hung out with Fidel Castro as a kid, you know. Uh, so I think that the close ties between the Trudeau family and Castro um really served to compromise his sort of the balancing act.
0: In jarring contrast to his personal but widely shared grief at his father's passing, Justin's mourning of Castro was not shared by the nation. For perhaps the first time in his life, Trudeau's personal grief was not one that fostered nationalism but one that
7: alienated. Public displays of grief um, have become uh, sort of part of the daily work of politics in a lot of ways, whether we're talking about uh, you know visiting disaster sites or uh, issuing, uh, I mentioned public apologies earlier, um, uh, contrition, guilt, responsibility. These have become part of a kind of political order of the day, right? And when things become that sort of routinized, take on that kind of routinized uh, structure, then they become more staged.
3: But this is not the end. He left politics in 84, but he came back for Meach. He came back for Charlottetown. He came back to remind us of who we are and what we're all capable of.
0: Morning whether it's through a Facebook status or it's broadcast live on national television, will always be and feel altered, edited, and even performed.
3: But he won't be coming back anymore. It's all up to us, all of us, now.
0: Mourning his father's death is rife with political meaning, especially now that he is followed in his footsteps but so is every part of Justin Trudeau's life. To grow up having to share your dad with the nation, it only makes sense that Justin would then share his grief with us too.
3: Them. Thank's
1: Ali, that was great.
0: students in the journalism program at the university of king's college
1: we want to acknowledge the people who were willing to talk with us for this podcast for many of them it was very personal
0: we also want to thank our producer mariah campbell and our associate producer terry boats our editor was jessica caperini and our and julianne steves is taking care of social media
1: You can find Julianne's posts and follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is SignalRadioHFX or use the hashtag SignalPodcast. We would love to hear from you.
0: Thanks also to Mark Pinio, our technician, and our audio professor, Pauline Dakin.
1: And thank you for listening.